Part five, chapter three of a popular history of astronomy during the nineteenth century. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A popular history of astronomy during the nineteenth century by Agnes Mary Clerke. Chapter three, part one. Progress of knowledge regarding the sun. The discovery of sunspots in 1610 by Fabricius and Galileo first opened a way for inquiry into the solar constitution, but it was long before that way was followed with system or profit. The seeming irregularity of the phenomena discouraged continuous attention. Casual observations were made the basis of arbitrary conjectures and real knowledge received little or no increase in sixteen twenty we find jean tarde canon of sarlat arguing that because the sun is the eye of the world and the eye of the world cannot suffer from ophthalmia therefore the appearances in question must be due not to actual specks or stains on the bright solar disk but to the transits of a number of small planets across it to this new group of heavenly bodies he gave the name of Barbonia Sidera, and they were claimed in 1633 for the House of Habsburg, under the title of Austriaca Sidera, by Father Malapertius, a Belgian Jesuit. A similar view was temporarily maintained against Galileo by the justly celebrated Father Scheiner of Ingolstadt, and later by William Gascoigne, the inventor of the micrometer, but most of those who were capable of thinking at all on such subjects, and they were but few, adhered either to the cloud theory or to the slag theory of sunspots. The first was championed by Galileo, the second by Simon Marius, astronomer and physician to the brother Margraves of Brandenburg. The latter opinion received a further notable development from the fact that in 1618, a year remarkable for the appearance of three bright comets, the sun was almost free from spots, whence it was inferred that the cindery refuse from the great solar conflagration, which usually appeared as dark blotches on its surface, was occasionally thrown off in the form of comets, leaving the sun like a snuffed taper to blaze with renewed brilliancy. In the following century, Durham, gathered from observations carried on during the years 1703 to 1711, that the spots on the sun are caused by the eruption of some new volcano therein, which at first pouring out a prodigious quantity of smoke and other opacous matter, causeth the spots and as that fuliginous matter decayeth and spendeth itself and the volcano at last becomes more torrid and flaming so the spots decay and grow to umbrae and at last to faculae the view confidently upheld by lalande that spots were rocky elevations uncovered by the casual ebbing of a luminous ocean the surrounding penumbrae representing shoals or sandbanks had even less to recommend it than durham's volcanic theory 
both were however significant of a growing tendency to bring solar phenomena within the compass of terrestrial analogies for a hundred and sixty-four years then after galileo first levelled his telescope at the setting sun next to nothing was learned as to its nature and the facts immediately ascertained of its rotation on an axis nearly erect to the plane of the ecliptic in a period of between twenty-five and twenty-six days and of the virtual limitation of the spots to a so-called royal zone extending some thirty degrees north and south of the solar equator gained little in either precision or development from five generations of astronomers but in november seventeen sixty nine a spot of extraordinary size engaged the attention of alexander wilson professor of astronomy in the university of glasgow he watched it day by day and to good purpose as the great globe slowly revolved carrying the spot toward its western edge he was struck with the gradual contraction and final disappearance of the penumbra on the side next to the centre of the disk and when on the sixth of december the same spot re-emerged on the eastern limb he perceived as he had anticipated that the shady zone was now deficient on the opposite side and resumed its original completeness as it returned to a central position in other spots subsequently examined by him similar perspective effects were visible and he proved in seventeen seventy four by strict geometrical reasoning that they could only arise in vast photospheric excavations it was not indeed the first time that such a view had been suggested father shiner's later observations plainly foreshadowed it a conjecture to the same effect was emitted by leonard rost of nuremberg early in the eighteenth century both by la in seventeen o three and by j cassini in seventeen nineteen spots had been seen as notches on the solar limb while in seventeen seventy pastor schulen of essingen from the careful study of phenomena similar to those noted by wilson concluded their depressed nature modern observations nevertheless prove those phenomena to be by no means universally present wilson's general theory of the sun was avowedly tentative it took the modest form of an interrogatory is it not reasonable to think he asks that the great and stupendous body of the sun is made up of two kinds of matter very different in their qualities that by far the greater part is solid and dark and that this immense and dark globe is encompassed with a thin covering of that resplendent substance from which the sun would seem to derive the whole of its vivifying heat and energy he further suggests that the excavations or spots may be occasioned by the working of some sort of elastic vapour which is generated within the dark globe and that the luminous matter being in some degree fluid and being acted upon by gravity tends to flow down and cover the nucleus from these hints supplemented by his own diligent observations and sagacious reasonings herschel elaborated a scheme of solar constitution which held its ground until the physics of the sun were revolutionized by the spectroscope 
a cool dark solid globe its surface diversified with mountains and valleys clothed in luxuriant vegetation and richly stored with inhabitants protected by a heavy cloud canopy from the intolerable glare of the upper luminous region were the dazzling coruscations of a solar aurora some thousands of miles in depth evolved the stores of light and heat which vivify our world such was the central luminary which herschel constructed with his wonted ingenuity and described with his wonted eloquence this way of considering the sun and its atmosphere he says removes the great dissimilarity we have hitherto been used to finding between its condition and that of the rest of the great bodies of the solar system the sun viewed in this light appears to be nothing else than a very eminent large and lucid planet evidently the first or in strictness of speaking the only primary one of our system all others being truly secondary to it its similarity to other globes of the solar system with regard to its solidity its atmosphere and its diversified surface the rotation upon its axis and the fall of heavy bodies leads us on to suppose that it is most probably also inhabited like the rest of the planets by beings whose organs are adapted to the peculiar circumstances of that vast globe we smile at conclusions which our present knowledge condemns as extravagant and impossible but such incidental flights of fancy in no way derogate from the high value of herschel's contributions to solar science the cloud-like character which he attributed to the radiant shell of the sun first named by shorter the photosphere is borne out by all recent investigations he observed its mottled or corrugated aspect resembling as he described it the roughness of the rind of an orange showed the faculae or elevations or heaped-up ridges of the disturbed photospheric matter and threw out the idea that spots may ensue from an excess of the ordinary luminous emissions a certain imperial gas was he supposed very much as wilson had done generated in the body of the sun and rising everywhere by reason of its lightness made for itself when in moderate quantities small openings or pores abundantly visible as dark points on the solar disk but should an uncommon quantity be formed it will he maintained burst through the planetary regions of clouds and thus will produce great openings then spreading itself above them it will occasion large shallows penumbrae and mixing afterwards gradually with other superior gases it will promote the increase and assist in the maintenance of the general luminous phenomena this partial anticipation of the modern view that the solar radiations are maintained by some process of circulation within the solar mass was reached by herschel through prolonged study of the phenomena in question the novel and important idea contained in it however it was at the time premature to attempt to develop 
but though many of the subtler suggestions of herschel's genius passed unnoticed by his contemporaries the main result of his solar researches was an unmistakable one it was nothing less than the definitive introduction into astronomy of the paradoxical conception of the central fire and hearth of our system as a cold dark terrestrial mass wrapped in a mantle of innocuous radiance an earth so to speak within a sun without let us pause for a moment to consider the value of this remarkable innovation it certainly was not a step in the direction of truth on the contrary the crude notions of anaxagoras and zeno approached more nearly to what we now know of the sun than the complicated structure derived for the happiness of a nobler race of beings than our own by the benevolence of eighteenth-century astronomers and yet it undoubtedly constituted a very important advance in science it was the first earnest attempt to bring solar phenomena within the compass of a rational system to put together into a consistent whole the facts ascertained to fabricate in short a solar machine that would in some fashion work it is true that the materials were inadequate and the design faulty the resulting construction has not proved strong enough to stand the wear and tear of time and discovery but has had to be taken to pieces and remodeled on a totally different plan but the work was not therefore done in vain none of bacon's aphorisms show a clearer insight into the relations between the human mind and the external world than that which declares truth to emerge sooner from error than from confusion a definite theory even a false one gives holding ground to thought facts acquire a meaning with reference to it it affords a motive for accumulating them and a means of coordinating them it provides a framework for their arrangement and a receptacle for their preservation until they become too strong and numerous to be any longer included within arbitrary limits and shatter the vessel originally framed to contain them such was the purpose subserved by herschel's theory of the sun it helped to clarify ideas on the subject the turbid sense of groping and viewless ignorance gave place to the lucidity of a possible scheme the persuasions of knowledge is a keen incentive to its increase few men care to investigate what they are obliged to admit themselves entirely ignorant of but once started on the road of knowledge real or supposed they are eager to pursue it by the promulgation of a confident and consistent view regarding the nature of the sun accordingly research was encouraged because it was rendered hopeful and inquiries were shown a path leading indefinitely onwards where an impassable thicket had before seemed to bar the way we have called the terrestrial theory of the sun's nature an innovation and so as far as its general acceptance is concerned it may justly be termed but like all successful innovations it was a long time brewing 
it is extremely curious to find that herschel had a predecessor in its advocacy who never looked through a telescope nor indeed imagined the possibility of such an instrument who knew nothing of sunspots was still mistaken assertions to the contrary notwithstanding in the bondage of the geocentric system and regarded nature from the lofty standpoint of an idealist philosophy this was the learned and enlightened cardinal cusa a fisherman's son from the banks of the moselle whose distinguished career in the church and in literature extended over a considerable part of the fifteenth century fourteen o one to fourteen sixty four in his singular treatise deducta ignorantia one of the most notable literary monuments of the early renaissance the following passage occurs to a spectator on the surface of the sun the splendor which appears to us would be invisible since it contains as it were an earth for its central mass with a circumferential envelope of light and heat and between the two an atmosphere of water and clouds and translucent air the luminary of herschel's fancy could scarcely be more clearly portrayed some added words however betray the origin of the cardinal's idea the earth also he says would appear as a shining star to anyone outside the fiery element it was in fact an extension to the sun of the ancient elemental doctrine but an extension remarkable at that period as premonitory of the tendency so powerfully developed by subsequent discoveries to assimilate the orbs of heaven to the model of our insignificant planet and to extend the brotherhood of our system and our species to the farthest limits of the visible or imaginable universe in later times we find flamsteed communicating to newton march seventh sixteen eighty one his opinion that the substance of the sun is terrestrial matter his light but the liquid menstruum encompassing him bode in seventeen seventy six arrived independently at the conclusion that the sun is neither burning nor glowing but in its essence a dark planetary body composed like our earth of land and water varied by mountains and valleys and enveloped in a vaporous atmosphere and the learned in general applauded and acquiesced the view however was in seventeen eighty seven still so far from popular that the holding of it was alleged as a proof of insanity in dr elliot when accused of a murderous assault on miss boydell his friend dr simmons stated on his behalf that he had received from him in the preceding january a letter giving evidence of a deranged mind wherein he asserted that the sun is not a body of fire as hath been hitherto supposed but that its light proceeds from a dense and universal aurora which may afford ample light to the inhabitants of the surface beneath and yet be at such a distance aloft as not to annoy them no objection he saith ariseth to that great luminary's being inhabited vegetation may obtain there as well as with us there may be water and dry land hills and dales rain and fair weather and as the light 
so the season must be eternal consequently it may easily be conceived to be by far the most blissful habitation of the whole system the recorder nevertheless objected that if an extravagant hypothesis were to be adduced as proof of insanity the same might hold good with regards to some other speculators and desired dr simmons to tell the court what he thought of the theories of burnett and buffon eight years later this same extravagant hypothesis backed by the powerful recommendations of sir william herschel obtained admittance to the venerable halls of science there to abide undisturbed for nearly seven decades individual objectors it is true made themselves heard but their arguments had little effect on the general body of opinion ruder blows were required to shatter a hypothesis flattering to human pride of invention in its completeness and the plausible detail of observations by which it seemed to be supported and in its condescension to the natural pleasure in discovering resemblance under all but total dissimilarity sir john herschel included among the results of his multifarious labors at the cape of good hope a careful study of the sun-spots conspicuously visible towards the end of the year eighteen thirty six and in the early part of eighteen thirty seven they were remarkable he tells us for their forms and arrangement as well as for their number and size one group measured on the twenty ninth of march in the latter year covering apart from what may be called its outlying dependencies the vast area of five square minutes or three thousand seven hundred and eighty million square miles we have at present to consider however not so much these observations in themselves as the chain of theoretical suggestions by which they were connected the distribution of spots it was pointed out on two zones parallel to the equator showed plainly their intimate connection with the solar rotation and indicated as their cause fluid circulations analogous to those producing the terrestrial trade and anti-trade winds the spots in this view of the subject he went on to say would come to be assimilated to those regions on the earth's surface where for the moment hurricanes and tornadoes prevail the upper stratum being temporarily carried downwards displacing by its impetus the two strata of luminous matter beneath the upper of course to a greater extent than the lower and thus wholly or partially denuding the opaque surface of the sun below such processes cannot be unaccompanied by vorticose motions which left to themselves die away by degrees and dissipate with the peculiarity that their lower portions come to rest more speedily than their upper by reason of the greater resistance below as well as the remoteness from the point of action which lies in a higher region so their centres as seen in our water-spouts which are nothing but small tornadoes appear to retreat upwards now this agrees perfectly with what is observed during the obliteration of the solar spots which appear as if filled in by the collapse of their sides the penumbra closing in upon the spot and disappearing after it but when it comes to be asked whether a cause can be found 
by which a diversity of solar temperature might be produced corresponding with that which sets the currents of the terrestrial atmosphere in motion we are forced to reply that we know of no such cause for sir john herschel's hypothesis of an increased retention of heat at the sun's equator due to the slightly spheroidal or bulging form of its outer atmospheric envelope assuredly gives no sufficient account of such circulatory movements as he supposed to exist nevertheless the view that the sun's rotation is intimately connected with the formation of spots is so obviously correct that we can only wonder it was not thought of sooner while we are even now unable to explain with any certainty how it is so connected mere scrutiny of the solar surface however is not the only means of solar observation we have a satellite and that satellite from time to time acts most opportunely as a screen cutting off a part or the whole of those dazzling rays in which the master orb of our system veils himself from over curious regards the importance of eclipses to the study of the solar surroundings is of comparatively recent recognition nevertheless much of what we know concerning them has been snatched as it were by surprise under favor of the moon in former times the sole astronomical use of such incidents was the correction of the received theories of the solar and lunar movements the precise time of their occurrence was the main fact to be noted and subsidiary phenomena received but casual attention now their significance as a geometrical test of tabular accuracy is altogether overshadowed by the interest attaching to the physical observations for which they afford propitious occasions this change may be said to date in its pronounced form from the great eclipse of eighteen forty two although a necessary consequence of the general direction taken by scientific progress it remains associated in a special manner with the name of francis bailey the philosopher of newbury was by profession a london stockbroker and a highly successful one nevertheless his services to science were numerous and invaluable though not of the brilliant kind which attract popular notice born at newbury in berkshire april twenty eighth seventeen seventy four and placed in the city at the age of fourteen he derived from the acquaintance of dr priestley a love of science which never afterwards left him it was however no passion such as flames up in the brain of the destined discoverer but a regulated inclination kept well within the bounds of an actively pursued commercial career after travelling for a year or two in what were then the wilds of north america he went on the stock exchange in seventeen ninety nine and earned during twenty-four years of assiduous application to affairs a high reputation for integrity and ability to which corresponded an ample fortune in the meantime the astronomical society largely through his co-operation had been founded he had for three years acted as its secretary and he now felt entitled to devote himself exclusively to a subject which had long occupied his leisure hours he accordingly in eighteen twenty five retired from business purchased a house in tavistock place and fitted up there a small observatory 
he was however by preference a computator rather than an observer what sir john herschel calls the archaeology of practical astronomy found in him an especially zealous student he re-edited the star catalogues of ptolemy ulugbeck tycho brahe hevelius haley flamsteed lacayel and meyer calculated the eclipse of tails and the eclipse of agathocles and vindicated the memory of the first astronomer royal but he was no less active in meeting present needs than in revising past performances the subject of the reduction of observations then as we have already explained in a state of deplorable confusion attracted his most earnest attention and he was close on the track of bessel when he made acquainted with the method of simplification devised at Königsberg. anticipated as an inventor he could still be of eminent use as a promoter of these valuable improvements and carrying them out on a large scale in the star catalogue of the astronomical society published in eighteen twenty seven he put in the words of herschel the astronomical world in possession of a power which may be said without exaggeration to have changed the face of sidereal astronomy his reputation was still further enhanced by his renewal with vastly improved apparatus of the method first used by henry cavendish in seventeen ninety seven through seventeen ninety eight for determining the density of the earth from a series of no less than two thousand one hundred and fifty three delicate and difficult experiments conducted at tavistock place during the years eighteen thirty eight through eighteen forty two he concluded our planet to weigh five point six six as much as a globe of water of the same bulk and this result slightly corrected is still accepted as a very close approximation of the truth end of chapter three part one